You're listening to the Arctic Circle podcast. In this episode, we listen to U.S. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse from Rhode Island discuss measures being taken in Washington, D.C. regarding climate change. The Senator's speech is followed by a Q&A with the audience. This event originally took place at the 2021 Arctic Circle Assembly in Reykjavik, Iceland. The Q&A was moderated by Oliver Ragnar Grimsson, Chairman of the Arctic Circle and former President of Iceland. You may be wondering what a distinctly non-Arctic United States Senator is doing here. I represent the state of Rhode Island. And the answer is twofold. Oceans and climate. We are a small state, Rhode Island. We have a lot of coastline. And the current predictions are that we're going to have to redraw the map of my state probably in my lifetime, for sure in my children's lifetime, because we've been so irresponsible about dealing with climate. And of course, it's not just the sea level rise piece, it's also the acidification and the changing fisheries and uh, all of that. Um, I get a lot of this at home because my wife is a marine scientist, so I actually know what a pteropod is, <laughs> and even how to spell it, and what its role in the food chain is, and off the Pacific Northwest of the U.S. several years ago, studies showed that more than half of the pteropods had what the scientists called severe shell damage. Severe shell damage because of acidification. So there are many, many threats in the oceans, and we really need to take them seriously. And I wanted to share with you what is going on in Washington on climate. And I know this is a bit of an acrobatic leap to try to go from where we are right now to being ready for Glasgow just a few weeks from now. And there are a lot of uncertainties that we have to resolve in a hurry. Uh, but I think we're going to do pretty well. First, on the executive side, having John Kerry as the climate emissary is a big deal. We know him in the Senate. We trust him in the Senate. He made oceans and climate a huge priority as Secretary of State. And so to have him leading internationally really matters. We're back in the Paris Agreement. The Paris Agreement is probably, as the American advertisement says, my grandfather's Oldsmobile, and not what we need right now. Glasgow is going to produce what we need right now, but getting back in sends a really important signal. We also see the national security establishment of the United States, both in the intelligence side and in the military side, talking about the national security implications of climate change, which are many, numerous, dire, and avoidable if we're smart. And from the national security side to the financial security side, we are seeing the U.S. Federal Reserve System and the major regulators stepping up to their responsibilities to protect against what essentially every sovereign bank, every knowledgeable economist is predicting will likely be a pretty significant economic crash if we keep going on our course, whether it's the crash in property values along coastlines that Freddie Mac warns us about, or whether it's the carbon bubble bursting and taking the economy with it worldwide, which pretty much every central bank warns us about. 
So there's a new level of seriousness in the administration, and it's widespread. It's not just here and there. It's very much across the uh, whole of government. So what are we trying to do in the Senate in the next few weeks? There are basically five components that we're working with, key components. And several of them were advanced by the Biden administration. His, the Biden two top modalities of dealing with climate change were a green energy tax package, which we have supported in the Senate, which has actually been written up, drafted, and passed out of the Senate Finance Committee, which I sit on. So that's done. We're just waiting to have the rest of the agreement come together so that we can implement it. But that's kind of put it on the shelf of things that are done and ready to go. The second big piece that President Biden pushed for was originally clean electricity standard that morphed into a clean electricity power program and that is stuck in the Energy and Natural Resources Committee, which is chaired by Senator Manchin of West Virginia, and its fate is at this point, I would say, uncertain. Which takes us to the third piece, which is border adjustment. The White House has announced that it will support a border adjustment mechanism. I don't know yet whether they're going to support the EU CBAM or whether they're going to use a carbon price as the denominator or whether they're going to use um, industry carbon density as the rather awkward denominator. But we don't need to do much about that in the Senate because that's very much an executive branch phenomenon. As President Trump showed, a president has enormous unilateral authority in the tariff and trade world to use for good or ill. In this case, a good border adjustment, ideally coordinated with the EU CBAM in some useful way, would be very valuable. So I think that's underway, and that leaves us with the last two pieces. Piece one is a methane pollution fee, a charge on leakage. One thing we know about this is that the estimates are, we have about four modelers working on all this stuff. We're not just making this up as we go along. The estimates are that the methane fee will dramatically reduce methane leakage. That the industry is perfectly capable of ending the methane leakage. Now they just don't have the economic incentive. You give them the economic incentive, and there's a very dramatic reduction in methane leakage. And of course as any pollution fee, it's amenable to border adjustment. So it can propagate around the world quite rapidly, going viral in the very best sense. And the methane fee becomes instantly the third strongest intervention in the Biden portfolio of climate interventions. And I'll close with the last one, which is the big one. If we can get this passed, it becomes the most consequential climate intervention in the Biden portfolio, and that is a pollution fee on carbon emissions. Again, if we can do it, it has the biggest emissions effect. We've negotiated with the White House on what an acceptable one might look like. They have not yet signed off that they approve and will support it, but they've at least gone into neutral, and we're working with them on getting it done. And the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee has said that he is going to get it into the Finance Committee's reconciliation package. 
And that's a very important gateway. If we can get through that gateway, the other gateways become much easier to, to get through. And I'm determined to make that happen. Again, as a pollution fee, it's amenable to border adjustment. And that means it can go viral and we can create rapidly a global solution to solve this global problem. So that's a lot to do between now and October 31st. But a lot of the pieces have been quietly put into, the, into place. So it's not like we're actually starting at zero. It's just a question of wrapping this up and closing the deal. And those of you who are parliamentarians know that that's not easy, but it's doable. So thank you for hearing me out, and I'm happy to take a couple of questions. I don't know how much time I took. Uh, Mr. President. Thank you very much. Great. Well, thank you very much, Senator, for your fascinating uh, report. And also, again, thank you for making the effort to travel all the way from Washington to be with us here. Uh, we, of course, will take questions from the audience. But let me ask you, you said all of this needs to be done before October what, 31st? That's the plan. That's the plan. Washington is a slow-moving machine. You think you can do it? Washington is a slow-moving machine until it isn't. Okay. Yeah. Anybody here who's had experience with legislation knows that sometimes you work for years to get no, something ready, and then, bam, it happens overnight. And the usual response is that somebody says, wow, how'd you get that done overnight? And the person who did it said, yeah, overnight. That was seven years, not overnight. So we've put in an enormous amount of preparatory work to be ready for this moment, which doesn't mean that we're going to land this plane, but it does mean that the runway is in sight, that the gear is down, that the landing lights are on, and that the pilot knows where to go. Great. Doesn't mean you can't get buffeted at the last minute. Doesn't mean that a Scud missile can't hit you from the side, but I think we're in pretty good shape. But if you succeed, I can promise you here now, we will invite you to a celebratory plenary session at the next assembly where all of us will salute you for your effort. <clears throat> so, let's take questions from the hall. Meet. Meet. Mead and I went to college together, so if he's I know. really mean to me, he I has know. every right to be because we know each other's story <laughs> in college. Uh, what was that burning couch? In that oh, you have to speak it to the microphone, <laughs> even if you're old schoolmates, yes. <laughs> my, my old schoolmate and I have been friends and sparring partners for years, and I absolutely admire his career. And Sheldon, we've worked together on, on uh, improving Arctic science uh, Yep. And you mentioned your, your wife's career. Uh, that's been tremendously helpful to when I was on the Arctic Research Commission. I guess my question really is about technology, because uh, it, uh, with, with total deference to everything you just said, it's still going to be engineers and chemists and people who are studying uh, uh, new catalysts and so forth who are going to help us through this. And yep. what, what should be part of this package on technology? And the Arctic is a very good proving ground on that. We've done... Yep. Uh, because power costs more in our part of the world, we've done more on alternative energy than, than uh, most. Uh, we're the world's leader in wind diesel, as an example. And uh, uh, we also have some of the best places to, de to decarbonize natural gas as we work on that. So what, what role does technology have in your plan? 
technology has an enormous role, and there are three... I mean, technology is ultimately going to be the decider of success here. Um, and there's a particular technology that I will mention, which is carbon capture. I'm going to get a briefing from Orca and CarbFix uh, later this evening. That kind of technology is going to be necessary because it's virtually certain that we're going to overshoot our carbon, our atmospheric carbon safety levels, which means that zero emissions doesn't help you any longer. You've got to actually reduce emissions. You've got to be able to capture out of the direct air capture is probably the best. So there's a lot of technology that's going to need to be brought to bear and a lot of jobs, I would also add. So one way you do that is just with direct R&D spending, and there's a lot of direct R&D spending that we're planning. The second is with tax incentives to do things, and the 45Q so-called problem has been really powerful at bringing investment to bear on some of these solutions like carbon capture. But the biggest thing is actually this carbon price, because the carbon price sends a signal to the entire world that if you can figure out the better mousetrap, Let's just say the carbon fee to pick a number is $50 per ton. If you can figure out a way at $49 per ton to help a company that is producing carbon, you just made yourself a very rich person because they'd rather pay the 49 than the 50 and buy your technology. And if you can do it for 40 or 20, better still. And that way the whole economy lights up towards this kind of innovation. I don't think we can do it just with R&D and just with targeted tax benefits. I think you've got to lay the foundation, which is Econ 101 also, that you know, negative externality should be baked into the price of the product. So yes to your question, and, and we're looking at it that way. Good. Okay. Any more questions? And he was yes. amazingly yeah, nice yeah, to me yeah, for yeah, a guy who went to school with me years yes, ago. Yes, yeah, yes. Uh, sorry, let's take her first. Oh, there, behind. There. Put your hand up again, yes. Sorry, we will, then we will come back to you. Thank you very much, Gosia Śmieszek, UIT, Arctic University of Norway. Um, Senator Whitehouse, first of all, thank you very much for your work on climate. Um, I have a question, actually, regarding oceans. Yeah. Um, and if you could say, perhaps, a few words more about the role of oceans in addressing climate change in the U.S. policy, but also what we can expect in COP um, when it comes to bringing oceans into climate agenda. Thank you. Um, on COP, it's a little disappointing on oceans. Um, they actually tried to write oceans out of the Paris COP agreement, and it was the effort of a few of us exploding with outrage that prevented that from happening in the Paris COP. And if you look at the uh, agenda, oceans are barely mentioned for Glasgow. Luckily, there's a whole different set of meetings, including the ones that John Kerry set up, the Our Oceans, One Oceans, Our Oceans meetings, and others um, that have been very, very productive and that are still uh, going on. So, you know, I think we can... We can get the attention we deserve on oceans, even if it's not the uh, cop. Um, let me just say one thing about Lisa Murkowski, because when I got to the Senate, <coughs> I wanted to set up an oceans caucus, a group of senators who would work together on oceans issues, and Lisa agreed to be my co-lead, which is necessary because it's really much more effective if it's bipartisan. And we are now up to 40 members 
It's such a popular caucus that square states that have no coast <laughs> have senators who've joined because we're getting fisheries treaties cleared, we're getting the port states measures bill passed, we let that treaty go into world effect because we got that passed, we've got not one but two ocean plastics bills passed, and with Lisa, we've got two bills that I hope to get passed in this Congress. One is a very big bill, Blue Globe, that deals with ocean data and monitoring and supporting learning more about what's going on in real time when we need it. And the second, Blue Carbon, to figure out how we can enhance the ocean's ability to both weather acidification and warming and climate change, but also contribute to carbon reduction, whether it's through eelgrass, through mangrove forests, through uh, coastal um, protection. So that's actually kind of a happy bipartisan story in all the grim, toxic partisanship you hear about. Well, unfortunately, we don't have time for more questions, but thank you for bringing that up towards the end, because we hear so much about the, the end of bipartisanship in Washington. And I think both you and Senator Mukowski have demonstrated to us here today by coming together to this assembly. We actually even like each other. <laughs> that bipartisanship is up and running, still alive, kicking. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much for that. And let me also say I'm pleased you're going to have a briefing on carp fix because it's a remarkable uh, scientific uh, achievement jointly by American scientists yep. and Icelandic scientists. Uh, and I was privileged to be witness to the beginning of that cooperation more than 15 years ago in my residence when uh, Wally Broker, who was one of the great ocean climate scientists in the United States at Columbia University, <coughs> linked up with the Icelandic scientists. And now the end result is we can take CO2 from the atmosphere and pump it down into the ground where it will touch base with basalt mm -hmm. and turn into rock in two years and stay there forever. 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 And I've sometimes said recently what we need to do is the oil age started by building pumping stations all over to put petroleum into cars. Now we need to build pumping stations to take CO2 and pumping down into the ground. And the United States is fortunate, as you know, to have a lot of basalt. And what you will see, therefore, is something which I strongly advocate that now we need what I call the McDonald's Coca-Cola business model of building these licensed pumping stations all over the world. So instead of having these petroleum stations all over the United States, you have the carbon capture and storage stations where you pump it down into the ground. And when Bill Gates, a few months ago, was asked by the Financial Times after he published his book on the climate, and in the interview he sort of pontificated a lot about how to deal with the climate challenge, so the journalist said to him, well, but Mr. Gates, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he only had one answer. I'm investing in a climate project in Iceland. That's true. It's not only Columbia University, it's Bill Gates, so I hope you will be inspired by this presentation, and Iceland is willing to work with you in the U.S. to reverse the pumping process, and that will increase our success of succeeding in the climate battle. But thank you again. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you all very thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you.